Hi, I'm David, and welcome to Square One, the show about local organizing in DC. All right, welcome to Square One. This is episode four. Yeah, episode four. Today we're covering a pretty interesting topic. We're covering paid family leave. Yeah, that's right. So we uh, had the opportunity to speak with an organizer for the DC Paid Leave Campaign. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the, with the idea, basically, uh, we cover it in depth in the interview, but the high-level overview is that paid family leave is a concept that is foundational pretty much everywhere else in the world. Yeah, like the United States, this gets thrown out around a lot these days, but it's a national embarrassment uh, in terms of how poorly we're able to let people take care of themselves and their That's family right. members. It's basically the concept that you as an individual should have the right as a human, if you are sick, if a loved one is sick, or if you start a new family, that you shouldn't have to work and you should still be able to yeah, get some money. It shouldn't like it, you shouldn't have to like live in poverty and quit your job and ruin your life because like something happens, good or bad. Like it's like it's 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 insane. Okay. So I, I mentioned the DC Paid Family Leave campaign because that's kind of the group that coalesced around this effort um, a few years ago. Um, and basically, after several years of, of struggle, organizing, and campaigning, uh, last December, the D.C. Council passed legislation that would uh, create a social insurance program that would put D.C. on the kind of leading edge of this kind of progressive legislation um, around the country. It would uh, charge basically a small tax on businesses to set up a social insurance program that pays out progressive benefits to workers on leave, um, structured so that the lowest paid workers are able to maintain most of their original paychecks. Um, we'll get into more of the details yeah. in the interview, but this is like, this is a big deal. This yeah. is a BFD this as is, this, uh, is a, this is a new social insurance program. Yeah. And in, which is, it's a huge rarity these days. Like all like, like the entire politics of right now is built around like saving what we have. Like God forbid we have like new programs to actually help people with their problems these days. Yeah, and again, as we mentioned, this is a great opportunity for DC to yeah. be a leader nationally. Yeah, exactly. If we if we can make it work here, it, it's like it makes it hard to say that it doesn't work, or you you know it, it. You gotta you gotta start somewhere, right? You have to prove that it works at on some level of government, and I think we can do that here. We have a chance to do it here. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, kid. <laughs> yeah. Zach and I sat down with Hannah Wildbacher. Hannah was a community organizer with Jews United for Justice and the DC Paid Family Leave Campaign. Uh, the JUFJ team, along with campaign manager Joanna Blotner, uh, did a lot of great work and really helped push this legislation, what they thought over the, was over the finish line last year. Uh, Hannah currently works with, Jewish, uh, with the Jewish Social Justice Roundtable, and uh, she's going to give a, and you're going to hear in the interview coming up right now that you know, things aren't done yet. There's still more work to be done. There's some last second political hurdles being thrown our way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we'll talk about that more after the interview, but, uh, for now, hope you enjoy. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. Hannah, welcome to square one. Thank you. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about, uh, universal paid family leave. Yes. Um, so I'd like to start basically before we get into the nuts and bolts of yeah. the legislation, the program that's being set up and kind of where we are today. Uh, for people who aren't really familiar with the issue, just yeah. not, not even talking about the particular bill, but like yeah. what is paid family leave? What does that what mean? What is paid family leave? Um, paid family and medical leave. Um, paid family leave is just the ability to take care of someone that you love, including yourself, um, 
when you, when you need to do that. And I mean, when I, when I first got involved with paid family leave, I understood it to be mostly about maternity and paternity leave. Mm -hmm. And you know, I thought for myself, well, maybe that'll be relevant one day. I haven't had a kid yet. It's not in my plan right now. Um, and I kind of thought that that was all paid family leave entails, um, maternity and paternity leave, being able to take care of a baby. And of course it is that, but it's actually so much more. Yeah. Um, and through getting to know the campaign, um, I realized how much I, I have a personal stake in it um, because it also um, is the ability to take care of another family member. And mm. um, that was really important to the DC campaign to make that definition of family as comprehensive as possible. So for me, um, my mom had breast cancer when I was younger. She's okay now, but you know, at the time it was very scary. Um, and so I was working on this campaign and I asked her, I was like, mom, did you get any paid time off, any paid medical leave when, when you had cancer? And she like burst out laughing. She was like, absolutely not. I did not get any paid time, even though she worked at a, at a, at a college, at like a you know, good institution with great benefits, but she got no, she said that she was lucky that they let her keep her job. Wow. And then of course I asked, well, did dad get time off to take care of you? And she said he had to use his vacation days and he used them up really quick. Um, so my family has a you know, paid family and medical leave story. And then um, of course there's the ability to take care of yourself. Um, uh, we used to joke, um, it's like not that funny, but we used to joke, you know, if you get hit by a bus, you can take paid, paid family medical leave. Um, and then my friend got hit by a bus here in DC oh, and man. she's okay, but um, you know, it was pretty awful and she had to take paid medical leave and it was, you know, th this stuff happens, this stuff happens all the time. So it's the ability to take care of yourself or someone you love. Um, when you I think it says time. something about a society that you have to find humor in I know. <laughs> lack of social insurance. I think that's kind of a good point. Can it's you maybe so provide some, uh, like an international context, right? This is kind of foreign oh. to people in the United States because we don't have it, but it's something that oh, almost everywhere else in the world takes for granted. Oh yeah, the international context is incredibly upsetting. Um, you know, we could talk about Scandinavia and parts of Europe that give, um, even Canada gives, I think, a, I think a year yeah. of maternity leave. Um, and you know, people just kind of understand, specifically with maternity and paternity leave, that it's just something that you do as a society, a as right. you take, it's, it's a right, it's not really up for debate. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it's not just that Scandinavia has got us beat. There are actually only two countries in the whole world without any form of paid maternity leave. Papua New Guinea and the United States. <laughs> Everyone else has got this, right? So this is not just like, this is not just uh, a European socialist, you know, Scandinavian dream. Um, yeah. This is, everyone has figured this out. Um, and, you know, not everybody has it perfectly, of course. Um, but at, we actually saw this as an opportunity, you know, this DC campaign, this statewide work to kind of leapfrog ahead of what other countries have been doing. Yeah. Um, you know, they have, a lot of countries have great maternity leave programs, but perhaps don't have great paternity leave programs. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, you know, don't actually kind of work towards gender equality that a good paid leave program can, can create. Um, and a lot of those countries don't also have paid medical leave as a right and paid family leave, you know, not just for babies. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of, we tried to leapfrog ahead of other countries, but it's a, it's a depressing map. If you, yeah. if you <laughs> just do any Googling of paid maternity leave around the world and you'll see a lot of maps that'll just make you, make it think. So I, I guess the key takeaway there is that yeah. like, this is not a radical idea. This is not a radical idea. <laughs> this is very basic. But it's, we're, it's so basic. <laughs> I mean, and that that really was something that we um, had to fight for um, throughout the campaign. I think, I think even now, you know, two years later, um, two plus years later, people understand that this is a right even more. I think that the um, like Democratic Party platform in 2016 kind of you know talked about this. But when I started, this was not at 
all. People were like, but isn't that what vacation days are for? Isn't that what sick days are for? And it, you know, it's just not something that we, we think about. It's not a part of our culture mm. at all. Well, I definitely want to get to that in a second, yeah. kind of the work that you did building the campaign yeah. here in the district. But first, now that we've kind of established the issue, um, let's talk about the details of the program here in D.C. So, so last December, the council passed the Universal Paid Leave Act. Um, so what was in that legislation and what does it do for working families in the district? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot in this legislation because it's always more complicated than you want it to be. But the basic um, values there. Um, so we have eight weeks of um, maternity and paternity leave. Mm -hmm. um, gender neutral, does not care what gender you are. If you bring a baby into the world, um, if, you have a baby, if you adopt a baby, foster I a baby. I that's, think that's huge that's too, huge. The, the adoption. Yeah, um, so it's eight weeks for that, um, which was kind of the you know doctor recommended kind of lowest amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at first we wanted 16 weeks because that's what the research was showing was really important for babies, but we got eight and that's kind of that, that's good, it, mm -hmm. it shouldn't get lower. Um, six weeks of family leave, so if your mother is very sick, if your sister gets cancer, um, if your spouse um, you know, has, uh, is going through something, right? Those, those definition of family, six weeks for that. And two weeks for um, medical leave for yourself. Um, so if you're going through cancer, if you get hit by a bus. Um, and the other part that was really important to us is, um, this is where it gets wonky, but stay with me because it's all values based at the end of the day, is, mm -hmm. um, is uh, having a progressive wage replacement rate. So mm -hmm. how much of your paycheck do you get back when you're on leave? Because that's actually a really complicated question. And what we wanted was for um, this to benefit lowest wage workers as much as possible. This, that was really um, who this bill was designed for, designed to support. Um, and that's because, so California, for example, has um, a paid family leave program. It's pretty successful. It's actually incredibly successful. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to do differently, so they have everybody in the state, when you take paid leave, you get a flat rate back. I think mm. it's about 55%. So it's just over half of your wages you get back, which is great for, for many people, right? It's more than zero. You're getting something back when you're on leave. But let's say you're a minimum wage worker, which is basic. We know that minimum wage is too low. So yeah. it's, it's basically nothing. 55% of nothing is even less. So what we were finding was that um, low-wage workers were paying into the system, because that's how it works in California. They were paying into the system and never taking it. Mm. They weren't taking it at all because they can't afford it. You know, yeah. if, if, if the choice is between you know, going to work and then having to pay for daycare for your infant um, or just quitting, or you know, in some cases getting fired, um, or just you know, quitting and, and not having to work, but then not having to pay for childcare. That's what people were doing. So people weren't actually taking this benefit. Um, so in our bill, the less you make, the higher percentage of your wages you get back. So the lowest wage earners um, earn, get 90% of their wages back. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of goes down from there. And it has a pretty comprehensive definition of family. Um, Still not everyone. We, we were hoping that chosen family was going to be a part of this, um, especially to you know um, support the different kinds of queer families um, sure. in DC. Um, so it's not chosen family, but it is parents and siblings um, and and folks like that. And that's what it. And so, and about. how is uh, the program paid for? Great question. The program is paid um, through an employer-collected insurance. Mm -hmm. um, so employers pay into uh, this social insurance program, and then their employees get to take the benefit um, when they need it, um, which for most firms will save them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, right now, when someone um, 
is taking, let's say you have a maternity leave benefit at your firm, um, you just have to like pay them out of pocket for work that people aren't doing, which is good. And you know, a lot of people do um, give maternity leave as a benefit, although only 12% of workers have it, so it's still a huge minority. But you know, right now it's all on the employer to just pay out of pocket, and this sets up a consistent yearly rate. You pay into this system. It's it's a tiny percentage of what um, it's 0.62% of your payroll budget as a firm. You pay into this, and then all of your people are covered. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually brought numbers that I thought were interesting that I um, appreciate. So um, you know, right now, let's say if you're a worker making $500 a week and you yeah. take eight weeks of leave, your employer would pay $4,000 for your leave. It's like a lot of money, mm -hmm. but under this, under under the Universal Paid Leave Act, the employer would pay one hundred and sixty-one dollars a year. It's like a good deal for an employer. It's a really good deal, um, and especially for small businesses who really they like small businesses. Let's say you're two or three employees. Yeah. You really can't pay for someone to do to do work when they're out, uh -huh. especially if you want to hire a temp. To do, to do that work instead. I mean, you just can't do it. Yeah. But you can, at least what we've heard from most of our business owners, who we, we talked to many of them, um, you know, they were saying, I can budget 0.62% of my payroll a year, and that's a flat rate. I always know what's happening. And, and then my employees get to take this benefit and it doesn't come out of my pocket. Mm -hmm. So that's how, it's, that's how it's funded. So one other point of controversy that you yeah. constantly hear thrown around is that uh, how much of the benefits will go to oh, folks who don't live me. in the district, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about this point and maybe why? Don't fall for it, everybody. <laughs> why you shouldn't fall for it? Um, yes, I can. Um, there are a few reasons. Um, maybe I'll give you the backstory about the talking point, so you just know the messenger. I feel like that's important for yeah, me when please. I'm hearing these kinds of things, like who's saying what. Um, so something that people have said is that most of the benefits are going outside the district. So, you know, as a kind of a reason not to support this bill. The people who said that are the um, Chamber of Commerce, who um, and uh, a lot of um, big business lobbying. Arms. And to be clear, the mayor. And then and then fed that <laughs> to the mayor. Yes. yes. So we've seen her talking points, um, and we've also seen the talking points memos that these lobbying firms have have put together, and mm -hmm. we're like, oh, Mayor Bowser, I wonder where you're getting your getting your points from. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, the reason that you know, a uh, large part of the benefit goes to outside the district. What they mean is that because this is for district employees, no matter where you live, if you work in DC, you get to take this bill, this, um, this benefit. Mm -hmm. And most of the people who come into, you know, who are working in DC right now, we're in the middle of a work day as we speak right now, um, are coming from outside the district. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of reasons for that. Um, mostly, it, of course, at the end of the day, comes to legality and statehood that because we're not a state, we have all these rules about how we can and cannot collect money from people who live and work in DC. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, a, this is an employer um, benefit. This is for employers, firms of DC, to be able to um, you know, have a strong DC workforce. We wanted to be able to cover um, all, everybody who lives in DC no matter where they work. Mm -hmm. That did not work out. Um, I was incredibly disappointed by that. So right now, if you like live in DC but work in Bethesda, you're not covered by this. I really yeah. hope a future that we like have another campaign to make that happen. Yeah. It was very complicated. Anyway, um, you know, so the mayor is saying that this goes to people outside of um, outside of the district. Of course, she supported a $15 minimum wage, which is great, but that was you know one of her big things. Um, most, a vast majority of minimum wage workers in DC live outside of DC. Yeah. 
she didn't have a problem with it then, mm -hmm. right? So that shows us that it is politically convenient for her yeah. um, and for the people who are who are peddling this. Um, and it just, you know, it, it doesn't. Look, what is the alternative? The alternative is I'm sitting next to my um, coworker who works in Gaithersburg, and if you know if she gets pregnant and if I get pregnant. I get to take paid leave from my job, but she doesn't. Yeah. Like that's not how that's, that's that's horrible for workplace culture. And then of course it could you know if you change it in any way it could disincentivize hiring DC workers if you if you put a price tag on them. It it also doesn't speak to the fact that a lot of these low wage workers used to live in DC and exactly. have been displaced from a high living cost in the district. Exactly, um, and that's one of the things that we feel really strongly about is. Um, you know, paid family leave is this amazing investment into all these other, um, you know, social, you know, the kind of social justice that we want to see in the world. Um, people getting kicked out of this city, you know, it's, this is not an affordable housing campaign, but it's all connected, right? And um, Jews United for Justice was, is also working on affordable housing for yeah. the exact same reason. Not even to mention, um, we hear a lot of um, stories of homeless folks who became homeless um, and a lot of times their story is actually a paid family leave story. Mm. You know, someone who was taking care of their mother um, as she was dying of cancer, all their money went to that and then she was gone and um, they became homeless or their own medical bills. We just hear that all the time, medical bills. Um, mm -hmm. So this is this is an investment in, in the future. and. Yeah. Yeah, I would just, you know, to go back to your original question about this um, talking point, it's a really easy one to fall for because it sounds really scary. Like, yeah. why would why would this be going outside the district? But just remember who it's coming from, and that this is for, this is for DC. This is to keep people in DC. This is to keep um, the business community strong in DC. Something I never thought I would care about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and yeah, this is and it's a really good program. Um, that yeah, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> So, okay, before we get to what's happening yeah. now, I want to talk a little bit about the background. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the Paid Family Leave Coalition and, yeah. and how you kind of fought to get this legislation through the council? Yeah. Um, so, I think that the, f that, um, I'm actually trying to remember the history because it started before my time at Jews United for Justice at sure. the UFJ. Um, but the DC, um, you know, economic justice community um, have been thinking about paid family leave for a long time. Um, and I think realized that it was the right time to start this in um, September of 2014 is when JUFJ um, took on this campaign. Mm -hmm. It's been almost three years, I guess, two and a half years. Um, David Grasso, Councilmember um, David Grasso, he's at large. He passed um, a paid family leave program for the, for district employees, for government employees. And through that, we realized that there was interest in this, that we could have a champion, if not two, with Councilmember Silverman. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there was a lot of different conversations about where, um, about which uh, group to house this campaign. And JUFJ, along with um, you know unions and advocacy groups, um, built up this coalition. Um, that is incredibly powerful, and we, you know, that's a similar iteration of the groups that have worked on things like getting paid sick days for all in DC. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this also, I mean, it, this comes directly from what people's needs are, right? So, as community organizing groups, we talk with people all the time about what they need. And um, something that's interesting is that even though a lot of people we know need paid family leave, because going back to what we talked about in the beginning, it's not really something that 
especially even two and a half, two or three years ago, it's not it's not a concept that we have in our vocabulary. So you know, people would identify different things that they that they need to be you know strong and successful in D.C., but they wouldn't call it paid family leave necessarily. They'd yeah. just be like, I need a good job that you know gives me the flexibility to be able to take care of my mom because I you know. But they wouldn't have called that paid family leave. Yeah, sure. So it was really interesting to turn those needs into like a real legislative campaign. Um, and you know, my job as the community organizer was just to talk to people who, who needed paid family leave and to hear their stories and to get them to share those stories in really powerful ways towards the DC Council and um, you know, build a really wonderful community of you know totally um, volunteer, leader-led um, work. Yeah. And um, you know, with the goal being to get people um, empowered and you know fighting for something that they really believe in and also. Um, you know, to make sure that the council hears hears mm -hmm. that story, and and you know, not just you know for a council to hear stories and for us to tug on their heartstrings, but also to say, hey, we're like a really powerful community. Mm -hmm. um, we get things done when we work together. Um, it's in everybody's best interest. It's in your best interest if you work with us, DC yeah. Council. And one thing I think you guys did really well is you made yeah. it really easy for people like me to to do an action, right? Yeah. Can you maybe, uh, what, what were some of the tactics that you think uh, were key to your coalition success? Yeah. Um, well, that actually reminds me, um, there's a wonderful mom um, named Diana who was very involved, who is very involved. Um, hi, Diana, if you're listening. Um, she... Uh, is a mother of two and um, was pregnant for a good chunk of the of the end of the campaign, and she would always tell me, "I need something that I need you to be able to text me something, and then I can then text my mom friends, yeah. and I can use one hand because I have a kid in the other, and I need you to just text me, you know, if you, if you text me a number to call and exactly what to say, I'll do it, and I'll tell you know all my friends to do the same thing." Awesome. And so I was really thinking about her. Um, <laughs> And um, just all the different people. You know, the thing about this campaign is that the people who need this the most are the people who don't have time to work on this. Yeah. Um, that's just like, you know, a basic tenet of this kind of work, especially, you know, they don't have time to come to a lobby day on a Tuesday afternoon because they're working on a Tuesday afternoon and they don't have flexible work because that's the whole point of this campaign. So we are trying to make it really easy for everybody, especially people who need this most, to be able to take action. Um, so we, we did a lot of, um, you know, emailing the council, calling the, the council, we would have like call-in days where, you know, 100 people will all, would all call one council member and just show our, you know, the immense power of our campaign. Um, my favorite tactic was house meetings. We would get like 10 to 20 people in someone's living room and just share our stories about why this mattered to us. And it was just amazing to watch um, people I was actually just talking to my friend Benji yesterday about this. He was talking about how he had he came to this house meeting because he was, um, you know, my friend and we were friend, like the friends of the campaign, and he just wanted to support this house meeting. He didn't think that he actually had a story about mm -hmm. this, but through the house meeting, he realized that you know his father had gone through some is going through some pretty serious medical, um, you know, issues, and his father needs paid medical leave, and his mother needs to be able to take care of him. And you know what my friend had gone through as well, um, and then was like immensely excited about the campaign and really threw himself into it. And that happened with just you know hundreds of people. Yeah. Um, we canvassed all over the city. We went to ANC meetings all over the city, and um, a lot uh, passed a ton of ANC resolutions um, in all eight wards. And that just came from you know individuals coming to us in each ward, being like, "Can I also 
uh, pass a resolution. Yeah. Um, we had a rally that was so fun. Um, <laughs> that was really great on the day that the council came back from recess. Um, kind of a welcome back from recess um, rally, and uh, and then more creative tactics. This was um, Joanna Blotner, who was the campaign manager. Um, her idea: we went Christmas caroling at the council, um, <laughs> and right at, right before the vote, we rewrote songs to be about um, family leave. We wish you'll vote yes on paid leave. We wish you'll vote yes on paid, leave. <laughs> and went around to all the different council offices, and that was really fun. So we just tried to make it. Um, you know, accessible to people. Um, you know, there is a woman who, um, from, she's a, a, an amazing woman who's a cancer survivor and has chronic uh, medical issues. Um, she lives in Ward 8 and she can't, it's like, she's, it's very hard for her to get around. So I would ask her to come to lobbies and she'd be like, Hannah, I, I literally can't walk around the building. Like, I don't, I, I can't do that, but I really want to be able to do this. So, you know, I, she called my phone and left me messages about her story so wow. that when I was in the council offices, I would say, you know, this is this, this woman who lives, um, you know, she lives in Ward 8. She is not here right now because she can't get here right now. Um, but I'm going to have you listen to this voice memo on That's my awesome. phone so that, you know, her voice could be heard too. Also, I think my favorite was the paid leave onesies. Oh yeah, those are, fun. those are great. And of course, um, <laughs> you know, we had—I I can't forget like the, the you know really important tactics of um, testifying at the at the Absolutely. DC Council and lobbying at the DC Council. Um, there were three hearings on this bill, which is way more than most um, pieces of legislation get. Which also, when at the end of the campaign, the um, certain council members who won't be named, or I can name them, Councilmember Evans, um, who, or <laughs> Councilmember Todd, who would say, well, this is a really big piece of legislation. It's all coming so fast. We're like, well, it's been um, almost a year since the hearings, and we've been at your office tons of times. We yeah. talked to you in the community. Um, the community hearing, the one that was open to everybody, had over 100 witnesses, mm -hmm. and almost all of them were in support of paid family leave, and wow. it lasted until, I don't even remember how late we were there. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you know, not only are the witnesses testifying for paid leave, but the whole room is filled with people in red shirts, you know, yeah. supporting paid family leave. It was really beautiful. So after all this work, how did it feel when the legislation actually passed in December? Oh my gosh. It was really <laughs> amazing. Um, it was amazing because that morning of the second vote, I actually really wasn't sure what was going to happen. Um, I think from the outside, at least from what I talked to people who were not as close into it, it seemed like it was inevitable that it was going to pass. But when, but being on the inside of it, it was not inevitable. There were, I mean, the most powerful forces in DC were against this, and that's because, um, you know, even though we, we talked about it in the beginning, you know, that this is a Offering this benefit through a social insurance model is a real cost savings for businesses. You know, for huge for huge industries, paying 0.62 percent of um, of you know your your payroll budget is still is, is a ton of money when you're like a huge hospital association or a university. Um, it's worth it because the benefit you get back in terms of like productivity and retention, all those things, and just being a good employer, it's all totally worth it. But you know, big industries like that, they don't want to pay anything more. And time and time again, they've showed us that they don't want to pay anything more. So, um, you know, they were really trying to fight this with everything they had, and the mayor was against it. So, you know, that morning it didn't feel like community people power could actually win, but then it did, and it was amazing. I was sitting by myself, and I was asking for your help in your hand, oh. And I was loving you to death Almost gave you my last breath 
Crying, crying, crying for you. I was crying, crying, crying for you. Crying, crying, crying for you. I was crying, crying, crying for you. But well, I won't cry. No, I won't cry. I won't cry myself to sleep. No, I won't cry. No, I won't cry. 'Cause you ain't crying over me. Ten days have gone past since you put our love to rest. In vigil here I stand. Waiting your command, crying, crying, crying for you. I was crying, crying, crying for you. Crying, crying, crying for you. Now there's nothing left for me to do. So, but I won't cry. No, I won't cry. No, no. I won't cry myself to sleep. No, I won't cry. No, I won't cry. No, 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 no. You ain't crying over me. And I've tried and tried and tried so hard for us to not fall apart. And I loved you, loved you, loved you so. But all you in and let me go. So, oh, I won't cry. No, I won't cry. No, no. I won't cry myself to sleep. No, I won't cry. No, I won't cry. No, 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 no. You ain't crying over me. Crying by Ohi Dead. You can find more about Ohi Dead and links to their SoundCloud and website in our show notes. Now back to Hannah and Zach. Yeah. Well, so unfortunately, now we have to turn to what's happened next, or you know, why 
DC can't have nice things. Oh my gosh. Um, so maybe <laughs> tell us, like, yeah. So what's happened since? How how do we seem to be snatching defeat from the jaws of victory here? Oh man, Democrats, come on, we have to get ourselves together. Um, <laughs> the good news is um, uh, it passed, it's into law now, right? So that the, the, we passed two hurdles. We thought the mayor was going to veto it. She didn't. Mm -hmm. um, she also didn't sign it, so she still maintains that she's against this. Mm -hmm. um, and, but she didn't veto it, and we passed through the congressional review period um, without a fight, which was which was also great. But now, of course, um, they want to go back to square one, and that's because um, square one, <laughs> <laughs> and that's because um, these big industries are, um, I think, mad that they lost um, and a little freaked out. So they are getting to people like Councilmember Che who was a supporter of paid family leave. She's the Ward 3 council member. She has so much support for paid family leave in her ward, and she knows that. Um, but now she's saying that she wants to reevaluate the funding mechanism, the, the way that it's funded, that 0.62%. Yep. Um, and the other um, you know, council member who's going back to square one is, is council member Evans, which is less surprising. Um, we've seen that his values don't align with DC values time and time again. Well, maybe I'll just, I have seen that. I'm not speaking <laughs> for anybody else. You can speak um, for us on that. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty disappointing. Um, but Councilor Che, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed in her. Mm -hmm. And to be totally frank, um, and this is like, I don't work at JUFJ anymore, so I'm gonna say whatever I wanna say. Um, the hospital association is in Ward 3, and the university consortium is in Ward 3, and mm -hmm. they are getting to her. And they are saying, Councilmember Che, we need you to kill this. Mm -hmm. So if you live in Ward 3, or if you know people in Ward 3, please tell Councilmember Che um, that you don't support this. And I'll... What neighborhoods are Ward 3? Ward 3, that's Upper Northwest. So, if you, um, you know, Tenley Town, Chevy Chase, um, George, parts of the top of Georgetown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. But I'll tell you exactly what she wants to do, um, or what, and, and the kind of, uh, not to give you the specific bills, but basically they want to make this an employer mandate, which is kind of interesting because um, it sounds, it, okay, basically an employer mandate is kind of what we have now, right? It's yeah. basically employers pay out of pocket if you want, if someone is taking paid leave. And this is basically just forcing employers to pay for, for paid leave. Which is kind of interesting. The reason we are very scared of this is for a few reasons. One, big employers just won't. They just won't. Yeah. We know this. Yeah. In what world are we going to be able to enforce an employer mandate um, on uh, you know in this kind of in this kind of scale? Um, so they won't. They won't um, give this benefit. Um, of course, some good employers will, and then there'll be penalized, right? They'll, they'll pay for money out of pocket that they can't afford, especially small businesses. Um, for the Mary Chase bill, um, small businesses have this like hybrid insurance plus mm -hmm. mandate thing, but the smallest size businesses, I think zero to four or like one to four employees um, don't get anything, which is actually like the people who need this the most. Especially if you're a, a, per, a business of one, mm -hmm. um, there's a wonderful woman named Julie who is like, you know, her business is just her, and she um, developed shingles and needed paid medical leave, and there's like nothing on the private market that wow. would do that for her. She has like horrible insurance stories to, mm -hmm. to tell. Um, so anyway, so what's going to happen is some employers just won't give it, and we won't be able to enforce. Some employers will, and especially small ones, and they'll be, it'll be too expensive for them, and like that'll be hard for them. Um, and of course, then there gets to be the whole thing. You know, I'm, I'm a 25-year-old woman. At some point soon, employers will start seeing me as a woman of childbearing age. And you know, if you're paying out of pocket 
for employees to take leave and you pay for each of those leaves individually, if I'm up for a job against someone who isn't of childbearing age or is who, who, who is a man and might not want to take this leave, mm -hmm. it makes sense for the business not to hire me. And that is very, very scary for me. Absolutely. Um, and it also, you know, what we hear all the time is that there are businesses that have these policies on the books in theory, but because it's it's about you know paying out of pocket, there's, they disincentivize it in every way they can. Mm -hmm. I was just, I was talking to um, a new dad who um, his firm has two weeks of parental leave for dads, um, but when he asked to take it, his boss was like, "Well, I didn't take it when my daughter was born, and you shouldn't take it. Like you should you should be back here the next day, mm -hmm. even though it was on the books, you know." But in this, in the UPLA Universal Paid Leave Act. You apply, you you know, you take the leave through this this third party. You don't have to have those really hard conversations with your boss, where they basically tell you not to take the leave, yeah. which happens all the time. So we're really worried about this this bill. And I think you make a pretty strong case as to why the current legislation, the social insurance model, is yeah. far and away just the strongest so. uh, program. We thought of everything. Program. I promise. This is the, <laughs> this is the right one. We thought of the employer made it originally. We were like, maybe yeah. this is the way to do it, but we realized all these very bad bad things. Well, okay, so we'll come back and, and wrap mm -hmm. up on thinking about what the kind of fight is right now, yeah. the kind of immediate need and how folks can get involved. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Great. But first, I want to take a quick uh, detour um, to talk a little bit about your background as an organizer. Yeah. And uh, I think something that we haven't, you know, this is something we try to do on the show is to kind of elevate uh, the work of organizers and like cool. your own individual story. Yeah. But something we haven't talked about on the show at all is faith-based um, organizing oh, wow. and activism. Mm -hmm. And you know, since you've worked with JFJ and now you're with the, I'm sorry, Jewish, Jewish Social, Social Justice, Justice Roundtable. Round yeah. yeah. Uh, if you can maybe help us describe to folks why that's important to you oh, and then maybe yeah. how you kind of got into this, uh, into this lane as an activist. Yeah. Um, so at first by, um, you know, Jewish identity and my organizer identity were very, very separate. Mm. Um, I uh, started organizing um, with the congressional race, actually. It was kind of an accident. I just needed a, a paid job and um, was, you know, in, in the summer in college and ended up on a congressional race in New Hampshire very randomly. And I had surprisingly just the absolute time of my life. I, um, I, you know, through organizing, um, through being a field organizer for this campaign, my job was to like take people out for coffee and you know have these one-on-one -on -one meetings where I hear what they care about, and then, you know, we would we would put together all these, you know, wonderful events and actions, and I just got to watch people really go out of their comfort zone um, about you know people who were really scared to ever like speak in public, like leading you know a, a meeting or. Um, people who don't want to talk to strangers, canvassing door to door and then leading canvassing training. I mean, it was just amazing. Um, and I ended up, uh, it was supposed to be just for the summer, but I ended up like not going back to school that fall and staying on for the rest of the, of the campaign because I was so committed to, mostly to like the community that we had built in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, and then once that was over, I knew very, it felt very clear to me that I needed to be an organizer. And then I would never work for a congressional race ever again or anything that actually has to do with like electoral politics because it was, you know, those parts that I mentioned were wonderful, but the parts about like, you know, having to, Congress is weird and I was like, this is not my place. Um, this is not where my heart is. Um, and, you know, so I got more involved in campus organizing and um, in, in some local organizing in Ohio where I went to school. And then actually, you know, 
Parallel to that was kind of my Jewish identity and my Jewish journey. Um, I uh, come from a um, fairly strong Jewish background that, um, I don't know, it never really, it was, you know, it's, it's a journey for, for people. <laughs> people might um, identify with trying to figure out, you know, how Judaism fits in, fits in your life. Um, and I guess it was, it was sometime in, towards the end of college, I started organizing around um, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yeah. And I heard people using, you know, Jewish values of like, you know, repairing the world and things that I had grown up with in Jewish day school. Um, using those, using Jewish text, using Jewish ritual to kind of infuse like an organizing mindset. Mm -hmm. And I was just hooked. I, was, I just thought that was the most beautiful thing and it just felt like really, you know, an appropriate place for me. I felt like, it felt like a, you know, where this is, this is my role in this larger fight for justice is to be in this faith contingent. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't sure exactly how that worked um, until I heard about Jews United for Justice. I'd never even heard of it until I was like applying to jobs at the end of my college time and heard of JUFJ. And I was like, wait, I can work at a Jewish organization and organize? That's amazing. And, and it's kind of gone from there. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me a little more about what you actually do now with the um, Jewish Social Justice Roundtable. Round table, yeah. It's not organizing. Yeah. Um, the Jewish Social Justice Roundtable is the coalition of um, the network of all the Jewish social justice organizations in the country. Um, we're 57 organizations strong, and um, it's just this really wonderful network. Where we, you know, my goal um, it's it's a it's a small person team. It's just me and my boss, and our goal is to help people do their work better and be more effective at um, whatever they're trying to accomplish in the world of Jewish social justice and to kind of elevate um, what Jewish social justice means and how people understand it in, in American society with the idea that the more it's understood, the better off all of our organizations are. And then of course, because we are who we are, we're not just a professional association, we try to do something more. So right now we've taken on um, a racial justice campaign. So we're trying to figure out how to bring racial justice more to the center of all of our organization's work, which is um, really exciting and really challenging. Yeah, that's great. And then of course, trying to figure out, you know, what does it look like for, um, you know, the American Jewish community to um, kind of, you know, say very loudly and clearly that social justice is our priority. Um, mm -hmm. Because right now the, you know, the people who claim, the organizations who claim to speak on behalf of all American Jews, especially, you know, who have the ear of the president, for example, do not speak for the majority of American Jews, and actually we do. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to, how to act in that powerful way. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I guess we'll be wrapping up here. Yeah. So now we've talked about kind of the, what paid leave is, yeah. the fight to get universal paid leave in the district. And now what to do about it. <laughs> now what to do about it. What is there left to fight for? Okay, so many things. Larger fight for justice never ends, right? Um, <laughs> right now specifically, um, the, the most pressing thing to do is fight for um, funding in the budget. Mm. It is the least sexy part of this campaign, but actually it's the most important because if we don't get money, we can't do anything. Yeah. So what's cool about you know this paid leave insurance model is that once it gets going, it pays for itself. Employees, employers pay in, the money goes to employees. But we have to have startup funding and mostly for the technology, you know, to like make this software, um, which um, I don't understand totally, but <laughs> I know that it's important. So um, the council is in the middle of figuring out their budget right now, 
And if you're listening, you should call any member of the council, specifically, hopefully, one that represents you, and you can find that on dccouncil.us, and just tell them that you support um, uh, funding for paid leave implementation. Um, and What's the specific number? The specific that number is $40 million. For? Um, that's how much money we need to be written in this, in this budget, which we, that's what the chief financial officer said this is going to cost. All of our models show that it's going to cost way less than that, yeah. but you know what? That's what he said. Let's, we'll be conservative. So we're asking for $40 million yeah. total. There's already $20 million for this. So yes. you're really asking for an additional $20 yes, million. Exactly. And how big is the full budget? So we're asking for $20 million out of about a $13.5 billion budget? It's actually, it's, this sounds ridiculous for me to say this, but $20 million is not that much. <laughs> yeah. um, especially when you consider the cost savings. Um, going back to the woman, Diana, who I was sharing earlier, um, her, she had um, a son who was born at something, I think it was like 24 weeks. I mean, he was born way, way, way too early. Yeah. And, um, you know, she needed to take that paid leave and it was really hard for her. And she talks about, you know, when uh, a premature baby is born, um, there are all these interventions you need to do immediately, but you can only do them if you're not working. And she would sometimes be totally alone in the NICU, you know, the part of the hospital that has, um, you know, where all the premature babies are. She'd be the only parent there because all the other parents were at work. And there are all these interventions you need to do now. And the reason that goes back to the budget is because, you know, if you're a premature baby and you don't get the interventions you need, you might need, for example, an IEP or some special support when you get to school, um, which we are happy to pay for and we do pay for, right? We have really good special education services in, D in DCPS. But we would save money if we intervened in those first few weeks yeah. and did those interventions that science has proven that, that work um, mm -hmm. and then not need an IEP when we get to... Um, to, to preschool, and that's only one example of this yeah. cost saving. So, I mean, it's really $20 million. It's not that much money it's not that to get much this money. to happen. And so, basically, there's still a lot to fight for. Even though for. the legislation's passed and it's technically it's law, we yes. still have to kind of protect our flank. Yes. Um, and so. And make sure that the city actually implements it. Exactly. Yeah, because the mayor's going to drag her feet. We know that. And so, so there is still a role to play in yes. volunteering, advocating. Yes. Uh, for this legislation, where yes. can people go to find out more? Um, DCPaidFamilyLeave.org or um, JUFJ.org and follow us at, at DCPaidLeave. Um, and uh, if you go to those websites and click sign up to volunteer, you'll get connected with all the different volunteer opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like we said in the beginning, we try to make it really, really yeah. easy. I cannot overstate <laughs> how easy it was awesome. to get plugged into being active on this campaign. You guys really did an amazing job of just like idiot-proofing yes, advocacy. Yes, that's exactly the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we just want to show that there is immense community support for this, which we know that there is. And we want to make sure that our elected officials feel the pressure that you know is present. Um, and that organized people um, could do very powerful things together. Okay, so that was our interview with Hannah. If you want to get involved in the fight to push paid family leave over the finish line, please go to the DC Paid Family Leave uh, website. That's dcpaidfamilyleave.org. Yep. Sign up, get involved. There's um, the, the DC City Council, as we said, they're figuring out their budget right now, and they gotta they gotta put the money behind this. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably one of our clearest, cleanest calls to action that we've had because this is such a 
a discreet and well-organized campaign. Uh, I've actually volunteered with them um, in the past, and they rank it, as I mentioned in the in the interview, they make it really easy on you. So if you go to dcpaidfamilyleave.org, um, there's a big old volunteer button. Uh, click there, and they will plug you in um, and, and get you on their mailing list. But basically, yeah, right now the struggle is focused on uh, getting full funding in the budget, $40 million. They have targeted phone calls at um, key council members um, and will direct you in ways to get active on social media, um, making phone calls and emails, and then also uh, when you can show up to council meetings if you're interested. Uh, but the key thing is it doesn't stop there with the budget. Um, there are these initiatives to try and pass new, weaker uh, legislation, and you know we have to be ready to, to fight back. Um, basically, we need a popular movement against this insane repeal and replace effort. Yeah. But if that sounds familiar to you, it should. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to be ready, and, and the, the folks at the DC Paid Family Leave uh, campaign are the ones who can really plug you in, and, and they would love your help. Hannah also produces uh, on the side. She has a really good email newsletter that talks about the intersection of pop music and politics yeah, called the B-Sides. A lot of fun. The B-Sides, you can check it out. We'll post a link in our show notes where you can sign up if you're interested. Um, and it's been a, a lot of fun. We, we just actually found out about that when we were talking to Hannah and, and gotten a, a couple newsletters. They're pretty cool, so you should we're check them out too. We're definitely not also 20-year-old hipsters. So <laughs> we definitely don't have any similar tastes or characters. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, please follow us on social media. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Square One Show. That's at S Q U A R E One Show. S H O W. The number one. The number one. And we are on Medium at medium.com slash square one. Again, the number one. The number one. <laughs> and if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating review. Thank you, G Money 23MJ. You know who you are. Shout outs to you know shout who to you homie. are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so continuing on the thank you train, as we always do, thank you to uh, Anupam Chakravarti for the great uh, design. Thank you to Corey Benevente for our wonderful theme music. Uh, thank you to Hannah for, for agreeing to chat with us. And most importantly, thank you to you for listening and continuing to support us. Yeah, it's great, all 50 of you out there. <laughs> That's a pretty generous number, I think. <laughs> I don't know, but whoever you are, we please, appreciate it. We appreciate thank it. You. Continue listening. Please continue sharing. And Feel free to spam your friends on social media. <laughs> That's right. And we'll talk to you soon. See you later. Bye. <laughs>